argument oftentimes is made is that, well, caring, we have to have economic growth or we need to address this social issue. And in order for us to do that, we can't address climate change at the same time. But the, the nature of the climate crisis and the environmental catastrophes that we're seeing and that are coming down the pipeline are so awesome in the sense that they are so overwhelming that no one will be immune to them, regardless of how many walls you build, regardless of how high your skyscraper condo apartment is, regardless of how much money you have in your bank account. The environmental crisis is going to hit us. It's an equal opportunity destroyer. It's going to affect every single person, every form of life on this planet. And it, and it is already doing that. And so to put aside environmental considerations for economic growth or for political reasons, we have to call that for what it is. That's not a Hindu or a spiritual way of looking at the climate crisis. It's a political way or an economic way. And we're talking about the fact that the environmental crisis is at heart a deeply spiritual crisis. And so we, all of us, need to fundamentally reevaluate the values by which we lead our lives and also the religious practices and the rituals that we perform. Welcome to That's So Hindu, the podcast brought to you by the Hindu American Foundation. I'm Matt McDermott. In this episode, I'm talking with Gopal Patel, head of the Bhumi Project, a Hindu environmental organization based at the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies in the UK. I've known and worked with Gopal for nearly a decade now, and the Bhumi Project has partnered with HAF a number of times. Together, we produced the Hindu Declaration on Climate Change in 2015, as well as a one-day ecological conference at Yale University back in February of last year, just to name a couple. There's a lot going on with the Boomi Project these days, so have a listen. For those that don't know, what's the Boomi Project and what are some of the projects you're working on now? So the Bhumi project, obviously, Bhumi is a Sanskrit word that means earth or mother earth. And the Bhumi project has now been around for 10 years. We just celebrated our 10-year anniversary last November, just gone in 2019. And we are what we call a Hindu response or a Hindu voice to address environmental concerns. And so what that means is that we work with Hindu groups and individuals and organizations and institutions to help mobilize them into caring for the earth through a lens of viewing the world with a, with a Hindu understanding. And so some of the things we've worked on in the past over the, ten, over the last decade is we've worked extensively with Hindu temples in India, um, places like Rishikesh and Varanasi and Dwarakar and Puri and other places in the north, um, developing what we call a, a green temples guide where we encouraged Hindu temples to be more environmentally friendly. We've done campaigns such as, we used to have a great campaign called Hindu Environment Week, which used to take place every February that would mobilize Hindus across the world for environmental action. Uh, we've done things with HAF, such as the Hindu Declaration on Climate Change in 2015, which was endorsed by over, I think, 70 Hindu organizations and leaders and it was the largest Hindu statement on climate change ever, ever put out. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we do is where we do education, we do outreach, we do mobilization, mobilizing of people for environmental action. And some, some of the things we're working on now are 
Um, we're, we're continuing our work with Hindu temples in the UK over the next couple of months in January and February. We're going to be doing some, some workshops at UK temples. Uh, we're also about to start doing some work in Canada. We've, we've got a small grant, some small funding to identify a handful of Hindu climate activists in Canada. So we'll be doing that over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. And also at the moment, we're, um, we're working extensively with, with the United Nations, and we can get into that in, in a bit more detail later. But the, the big bulk of work that we're doing right now is that, as I mentioned, we've been around for 10 years. And over the last decade, we've seen public awareness, acceptance, and engagement of climate change and environmental issues has just grown significantly. And so we're just taking stock now over the next couple of months to really think very seriously given the crisis moment that we're in, given the tipping points that we're seeing when it comes to global ecosystems, how can the Hindu community internationally contribute the best to avert and address these ecological crises that we're seeing in front of our eyes? How is Bumi Project funded? And you mentioned working in the UK. Where, where's the seat, as it were, of the Bumi Project? Where is it based right now? Yes, good question. So, um, So we're actually based... Um, we were headquartered in Oxford at the Oxford Centre for Hindu Studies. And the reason for that is going back 10 years when we started, um, I was working at the Oxford Centre for Hindu Studies and, and we were approached by the United Nations Development Programme and a UK-based non-profit called the Alliance of Religions and Conservation. And they came to us in 2009, well, 2008, 2009, asking if we would help develop a Hindu voice on climate change in partnership with them because the UN at that time in 2008 were engaging with all the major religious traditions of the world to help mobilize them into addressing environmental issues. So we were asked in 2008, 2009 to start this program at the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies. And, and that's, where the, that's where the program, I would say, is legally based. Um, but we have, we have staff and volunteers all over the world. Um, I, I myself am now based here in New York and have been for the past couple of years, but was living in Oxford prior to this. Um, most of our funding comes from um, grants from other nonprofits and NGOs, and a small percentage of our funding comes from well-wishers within the Hindu community who like the work that we do and want to see it grow. How has the Hindu community responded to the work of the Bumi Project, and do you see any differences between uh, working in the United States versus India in terms of that community response? Uh, that's a good question. I would say overwhelmingly, um, the response has been excellent. Um, what we see when we, when we talk to Hindu groups and individuals about the work, we see them get really excited. And I think, I think there are two reasons for that. One is that, as I mentioned, Environment, the, caring for the environment is is one of the major topics that the world is facing right now. So people are just excited to hear about a Hindu organization focused purely on caring for the environment. But I think also people are really excited to learn about the fact that we're not a religious organization. We're not out there to preach the glories of Hinduism to the world and you know and 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 say that Hinduism is the, is the greatest thing. We're there to take what Hinduism has to offer and see how that can be applied to the world and make the world a better place. And I think that's a, a very unique kind of organization, a very unique kind of Hindu organization, which is that, which is that we're, 
proudly Hindu. We don't shy away from that fact. But we're not there to say that Hinduism is the greatest thing in the world, but that Hinduism has something to offer and that Hinduism can be a force for good in the world in a non-religious way. And I think that's a very unique way of, um, for a faith-based organization to operate. So I would say that our, the, response that, the responses that we get is, is overwhelmingly positive. But now your question around the differences between the responses in India and the responses outside of India, and, and we can use the US as an example, those differences are interesting. Um, what we find, what we find in the U.S. is that um, because of a certain, I don't, I wouldn't say a lack of Hindu organizations, but because there's a few, because there's there aren't as many Hindu organizations operating in the United States in the way that we are. Um, people are very receptive. The word using the word Hindu in America for Hindu Americans is oftentimes. Um, a positive thing and people want to see a Hindu voice because they see specifically younger Hindus, they would see, you know, Jewish organizations and Christian and um, Buddhist and other organizations working on these kind of topical issues. And they don't see it. They don't often see a Hindu organization working on these issues. And so they get very excited to see that. Now, if we take it to India, the challenge that we face in India is that they like the work that we do. They like the fact that we draw upon the Hindu epics of the Mahabharata and the Ramayana and the, and the Vedas and Upanishads. They love that. But the challenge that we face in India often, not always, but surprisingly more than I would want and people would expect, is that in India, they are reluctant to openly work with or align themselves to an organization that, set, that calls itself Hindu. They would much rather call it Indian or, or Dharmic or traditional or cultural um, because, and I'm not an expert in, in, on Indian politics in any, in any kind of way, but what I feel and what people in India tell me is that oftentimes um, the word Hindu in, in India is, is seen as a political title, not a religious title. Um, which is often which is different in the US, where a Hindu is a religious denomination, not a political denomination. Um, and so those are the challenges that we face between doing the work in India and the US is that the the work in its essence, people endorse and are supportive of, but what that work is called is oftentimes um, different in different contexts. In some of the other faith traditions, hopefully it's declining there's been pushback to some environmental concerns or environmental awareness and climate denial, skepticism, choose your, choose your favorite wording. Have you seen any of that in the Hindu community? Unfortunately, I, I, I have, you know, we, we, Hindus are not immune to um, the things that we criticize other traditions for. Um, what, what I have seen, not, not a lot, but enough that's concerning is that people, you know, people oftentimes, I, sometimes I hear Hindus saying things like, oh, well, you know, the science isn't clear. Well, the science is clear. You know, I mean, you know, as, as Hindus or as Indians, we pride ourselves on being very smart. Um, we are doctors and engineers and lawyers. You know, we, you know, we go to the best universities, you know, and if you look at the data, 
without any lens, without any filters, if you just look at the data, it's very clear that global temperatures are rising and that global temperatures have been rising since the late 1800s, which was when the Industrial Revolution started. And that if temperatures get to a certain level, there are going to be mass environmental catastrophes across the world. Like that, that data, that science is very, very clear. And oftentimes the pushback that I see from Hindus is not so much on the, on the science, although sometimes that is there, but it's more the economics of addressing environmental issues. The argument oftentimes is made is that, well, caring, we have to have economic growth or we need to address this social issue. And in order for us to do that, we can't address climate change at the same time. Um, essentially, it's GDP, economic growth over the health of the planet. And I, I, I understand where the argument's coming from. It's not an invalid argument. Like we need to lift people out of poverty. We need to ensure people have food to eat and places to live and jobs to go to. But the, the nature of the climate crisis and the environmental catastrophes that we're seeing and that are coming down the pipeline are so awesome in the sense that they are so overwhelming that no one will be immune to them, regardless of how many walls you build, regardless of how high your skyscraper condo apartment is, regardless of how much money you have in your bank account. The environmental crisis is going to hit us. It's an equal opportunity destroyer. It's going to affect every single person, every form of life on this planet, and it, and it is already doing that. And so to put aside environmental considerations for economic growth or for political reasons, we have to call that for what it is. That's not a Hindu or a spiritual way of looking at the climate crisis. It's a political way or an economic way. And we're talking about the fact that the environmental crisis is at heart a deeply spiritual crisis. And so we, all of us, need to fundamentally reevaluate the values by which we lead our lives and also the religious practices and the rituals that we perform. So, for example, some of the work we do with Hindu temples is trying to adapt the rituals that we have in our temples that are much more climate friendly. So, for example, we use a lot of coconuts in our rituals. We use uh, rice. We use banana leaves oftentimes. Now, if we're here in North America, those three items, as far as I know, don't grow in abundance. You go to other parts of the world, like in India, you'll get plenty of those three things. If you're living in New York City, I haven't met a single rice farmer, a single person that grows bananas, or a single person that grows coconut trees. And we have to recognize that these rituals came out of the land in India many thousands of years ago, and they used the items which were readily and easily available for them in that context. So if we're living in New York City or San Francisco or Houston, Texas, how do we indigenize, how do we localize our rituals to reflect Mother Bhumi, the Mother Earth where we're living right now? And so that's a task that all of us need to do. We need to check our biases against why we may not accept the science around these environmental issues. And then we also need to reevaluate the way we're leading our religious lives to ensure that they are in harmony and that they are in balance 
with with the earth where we're currently living. It doesn't make sense to lead a lifestyle which was put down on paper 2,000 years ago and still think every aspect of that lifestyle is relevant 2,000 years later in a totally different country, in a totally different environmental climate. We have, we have to be intelligent. We have to understand that things shift and change. And as Hindus, that's one of the foundational principles of our traditions is that things change. Things are always changing and we need to adapt accordingly. I'm going to come back to some challenges in terms of working in, a, I know Bumi Project works in interfaith or multi-faith environments sometimes. And those provide some interesting challenges. But I want to go back to something you said before about the contributions Hinduism can make. I mean, environmental awareness in terms of faith-based organizations and a faith-based response to the environment is something that's certainly grown over the past decade. I know in in my own work, if you went back slightly more than a decade, there was actually some sort of antagonism towards faith-based environmental work or just even that religion or faiths or even spirituality in some ways had something to contribute to the discussion. A lot of environmentalism, at least in my impression at that time, we're talking 2008, 2009, was skeptical of religion because I think maybe perhaps the people that were involved in it, it was very much science-focused, ecology-focused. And there, there may have been something religious or spiritual underlying that, but calling it such was something that was... You didn't win a lot of friends or there was... I don't know exactly how to describe it, but, but we've seen that a, a complete sea change in that. And the UN in particular has picked up the mantle. It's realized that the world's religions can have something to contribute both philosophically and practically in that, uh, you know, many more people associate with a religion in the world than not. So then what is it in your, in your view that you think Hinduism has to offer that's unique? There's a lot of similarities between many of the world's religions when it comes to environmental work. But what, then what is it that's unique about Hinduism? What, what does it bring to the discussion? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, and, I, and I like the fact that you, you were saying that, well, you, you mentioned that there are similarities. And the way, the, way I, the way I view this is that Hinduism just put... I, different religions place emphasis in different places, Right. Um, so for example, in my work and understanding in Christianity, there's a strong emphasis on caring for the poor, right? And you see that played out in, in Christian organizations. And so, so the Hindu contribution is really, I see like what, where, where are the areas that Hinduism really puts a lot of emphasis? Um, and I would say, I would say there are two things, um, which for, for a practicing or lay Hindu, they may think, oh, that's, that's basic. Like everyone believes that. But actually when you enter this work in a multi-faith context, oftentimes the other traditions don't place, place emphasis or even recognize things that for a Hindu is very basic, right? And so the two I, the two I often lead with, um, the first is, is ahimsa or nonviolence. I think that is something truly profound that can radically um, shift and change the way we as individuals live and work and the way that countries um, operate as well. The, the fact that 
Hinduism advocates for the first thing that one has to do is lead a, a, a lifestyle that is non-harming, um, is so profound. It's kind of basic in its essence that, oh yeah, of course we shouldn't harm people, but we see that we live in a society and we live in a world and we've developed institutions and other things which start with harming the world. Um, you know, we live in a fossil fuel-based society, oil and gas, and the production of oil and gra- gas starts with harming. It starts with harming the world. You have to dig very deep and cause a lot of destruction before you can actually extract and use that oil and that gas. And so the fact that Hinduism places so much emphasis on this idea that we should not harm or that we should minimize harm is actually very, very radical. Um, And I think that is one of the key things Hinduism can bring to the table when it comes to caring for the earth. The second thing, which again, I think is very fundamental to Hindu thought, which is not so pronounced in other traditions, is the understanding and the idea that all life is sacred and that we are all connected, right? From a Hindu perspective, the spiritual value of a human being and a tree and a river and a mountain and a bird are all equal. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna talks about equal vision, samadarshana, where he says that a learned person sees all varieties of life as equal. That equality is because all of them are spiritual beings with the same spiritual source and therefore all connected. Now, again, from a Hindu perspective, that's so fundamental. It's, it's the ABC of Hinduism, I would say. But it's very radical because we, again, live in a society and live in a world where that is not the norm, where we place hierarchies, where we think that human beings are higher in intelligence or consciousness or value than other forms of life. And therefore, we put these hierarchies in place, which then results in human beings exploiting things they value as being less worthy of of having a right to life. So these two ideas of non-harming, of everything being sacred and connected, are so profound that they can fundamentally reshape human society in a way that not only can we address the environmental concerns of our time, but also so many of the other global challenges that we're facing around um, war, peace and security, issues around violence against women or um, poverty or child hunger, all the global concerns that we face can be reorientated and addressed. I really think if, if we can really live by these two ideas of non-harming and treating all life as equal and as sacred. I think the other thing, which is not a, it's kind of a philosophical approach that Hinduism has to the world. It's the, it's the understanding that there isn't one right way to do things. That Hinduism, the plurality within Hinduism, the understanding that different paths are valid, that people are on their own journey, I think is so crucial and so important to the foundations of Hinduism, but also to, again, address the global concerns that we have in environment, which is the topic of today. Oftentimes we talk about there just being one solution or one way of doing things. And the Hindu approach is that, no, there isn't just one way and one approach and, you know, 
one road. There are many roads. There are many paths. And I think within the environmental movement, it needs to move into that space where it can bring upon, it can, it can engage and bring on the fossil fuel companies which are polluting the world. And it can bring on the industrial animal, animal agriculture companies which are killing billions of animals a year and causing untold pollution. You know, we need to have an environmental movement that can encompass everyone. And I think Hinduism really offers a framework to do that in ways, I'll be a little bit brave here, I think in ways that other global traditions, religious traditions, and specifically Abrahamic traditions often struggle with. Hinduism, because it is so vast and varied, it can bring in so many different viewpoints and perspectives that I think are so fundamental that are going to be needed to address the crisis that we're in. So I think that's the other thing that Hinduism can bring in addition to the non-harming and the, and the understanding that all life is equal and sacred. I think that is a distinction. The, the value or the worth that play that Hinduism places on a multitude of perspectives. There's no one, one right way to be a Hindu. And I don't think, you know, as you say, our environmental challenges are, are, are so varied that it is saying that there is one right approach for any given place or even time. Uh, doesn't really work, you know, just the solutions say to climate change that were being touted as the best practice, you know, a decade ago when Boomi Project started, uh, certainly aren't, uh, they're similar today, but uh, the emphasis is different. Um, do you find the, the, the Hindu perspective working in a multi-faith or interfaith environment, what sort of challenges are there in working in that environment where sometimes it seems like the language of conservation, of environmental protection, of taking action on climate change, the different faiths can agree on the goal, but the methodology sometimes, or the philosophical underpinning can be different. What what sort of challenges have you seen in that work? There's a current challenge and there's a, there's a challenge which is emerging. Um, The current challenge is that, and again, this isn't uh, to disparage Christianity, but as we live in a Christian world, um, and and Christianity informs so much of our our thinking and our language in ways that we won't even that we don't even know. Um, the re- I mean, there's a recent book that came out by by a British historian called Tom Holland. His his book is called Dominion, and he he's not a really a practicing Christian, but he was talking about in his book he talks about how all the institutions in the West. Um, that we claim to be secular or non-religious are actually products of Christian thought, and even the idea of having a Christ, of having a secular country is a deeply Christian idea. So we live in we live in a world where um, Christianity is the bedrock of thought, whether we know it or not, and whether the Christ, whether Christians know it or not. I think that's just the reality that we're, we're in, and so that permeates into the advocacy and the activism that we're doing for all, all these concerns around, around the environment. And so a challenge does come up when we need to find, again, going to this point of having a variety of approaches, we need to have a variety of languages as well. And I don't mean languages in such as Gujarati and Hindi and, and Bengali, I mean, we need to have different ways of talking about the issues and then therefore different ways of 
finding the solutions to them. And oftentimes what we find in a, in a multi-faith, in a multi-faith way, that language is used, which people think applies to all the global world traditions. And even that phrase itself, world traditions, is problematic, right? There are some traditions which have it upon themselves to spread out throughout the world. And we see that in history. And then you have, I would say, more traditions that are very happy just to stay within their little country or their part of the world and have absolutely no desire about spreading their teachings beyond the borders of their country, right? But we use this word world religions as if every tradition aspires to be a world tradition. And the reality is that they don't. Most traditions don't want to be a world tradition. They, want, they are happy being in their, in their place where they came out of the ground almost, so to speak. So bringing it back to the challenges, it's, but again, my point was we use this word world religions, which is a misnomer because that's, you know, um, and so the languages that the words that we use. So for example, we, we've done some work, um, with, a with a research group in Oxford around how do different religious traditions talk about the environment, right? So what words would motivate a Hindu and what words would make a Hindu feel like, well, this isn't really for me, right? And we were part of that research along with Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, and Jews. And what was really interesting was the words that came out that were effective for Hindus and not effective for Hindus, right? So for example, in the research, it showed that Hindus really resonated with words such as compassion, of journey, right, of, um, of love, words that kind of evoke um, a sense of personal responsibility were really important for the Hindu participants. Okay. But words that didn't work, but worked for Christian and I think Muslim groups, one prominent word is the word of justice. And in the climate movement and the environmental movement, we use that a lot. We talk about climate justice, environmental justice, but that framing, the justice framing is a very, Christian Abrahamic way of looking at the world and acting in the world. And it's not to say that Hindus and the Dharmic traditions aren't in favor of justice. It's just that they don't put much emphasis on justice for various reasons. Justice is more of a karmic thing. You know, we don't have say over how justice is played out. You know, that's the universe will take care of that through karma. And so that's one of the main challenges that we face in the interfaith space, which is that the language is often a very Christian language. And um, although they're open to other forms of language or other, um, other views, that Christian worldview is so, as I said, intrinsic and foundational to Western civilization and now the world that it's hard to sometimes push back against that. So I, so that's, that's one of the challenges. It's not a huge challenge, but it certainly is a challenge when we're talking about trying to mobilize as many people as possible to take seriously the challenge of caring for the earth. Not to go too off topic, but even, even the understanding of, even the framework of human rights or the dignity and the value of the human individual. Again, that's a, that's a deeply Christian way of looking at the world. You know, from a Hindu perspective, humans are important and human rights are important 
but so are the rights of plants, so are the rights of animals. If you read the Ramayan and you learn about the about Lord Ram, we learn that in his kingdom, all life flourished and he was responsible for caring for all forms of life, not just the human beings. And so even very foundational understandings that at the UN level we accept to be universal have their roots in Christian thinking. And I'm not saying that that is wrong. What I'm saying is that we, we need to recognize that and we need to have space to bring out Hindu ideas in order if we want to mobilize Hindus or indigenous ideas, if we want to mobilize indigenous peoples or Buddhist ideas and so on, if we really want to have as many people as possible taking seriously this, this work of, of, of caring for Mother Earth, that we need to have that a variety of voices and perspectives. In that response, you mentioned, you know, at the UN level and before you mentioned, you brought it up briefly. Can you tell listeners, I understand Boom Project's doing a little bit more work with the UN now. What is that? What's that involve? Yeah, so this is, this is a relatively, well, it's not new, but it's something that's gained traction for us in the last three or four years. So I mentioned that we, we started off with an initial invitation from the UN back in 2008, 2009. Um, and then our next engagement with the UN was in 2015. In 2015, for listeners, um, the United Nations launched what they call their Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs. And these are 17 goals the UN um, outlined for the next 15 years, so from 2015 to 2030. And in 2015, we were approached again by the UN to offer a Hindu response to the SDGs, to look through the 17 goals and think about how could the Hindu community um, engage or um, help achieve these 17 goals. Now, these 17 goals are issues around climate change, gender equality, um, peace and security, poverty reduction, you know, all the all the things that we see that we have concern about in the world are are kind of um, outlined in these 17 goals. And so we did that in 2015. We we offered a Hindu response. And since then, we've been engaging with the UN. There's a a task force within the United Nations called the Interagency Task Force on Religion and Development. And that's the body within the UN, which works across different UN agencies and entities to engage religious stakeholders or what they call FBOs, faith-based organizations. Um, and last year we were, uh, last year, a, a task, not a task force, an, a, an advisory council was created, a, a multi-faith advisory council to the UN was created. The first time in the UN's 74, 75 year history that they created a, a body of religious organizations to advise them. And so last year we were a part, we were a member of that advisory council. And as of late 2019, we've become a co-chair of that faith council. And so now that council is made up of 40 members of different religious organizations from across the world. It's mandated for the next two years. And our role is to advise the United Nations on how to engage with faith-based organizations to address issues around climate change and gender and poverty reduction and peace and security. And so now that's, that's a new portfolio, new, new piece of our portfolio, new piece of work that we're doing, but we take it very seriously because we recognize 
First, we recognize the importance of the United Nations in addressing global issues. And we see that at the United Nations level, there are very few Hindu voices actively engaged. And so we're taking that responsibility very seriously to ensure that there's a mature, there's an engaged Hindu presence within the UN talking about Hindu concerns, but also offering Hindu perspectives to the challenges that we're facing. So what do you see then is the future of faith-based environmental advocacy, both within perhaps the UN system and out in the world, apart from you know, that, that structure? What we're seeing is that faith-based organizations, as you, you said earlier, Matt, you know, we're being called to the table and called to engage in ways that previously did not happen. Um, and so the need or the invitation to faith-based organizations is please step up, please do more, please let us know how we can help you and let's do this work together. And I see that at the UN level and I see that in multi-faith contexts as well. And we see that also within Hindu communities. Across the board, people are recognizing that the environmental concerns that we face are really spiritual concerns. They are rooted in greed and corruption and overconsumption, all the bad things. And that spirituality has a role to play in healing humanity and healing the world to really minimize these destructive forces that are at play through human civilization at the moment. And so there's going to be, and there is continuing to be, a great need for faith-based organizations and for Hindu organizations within that to step up in really strong and meaningful ways and to be active participants and partners to address these concerns. That's at the organizational level. How can individuals connect with these organizations? And what, what would you suggest people do on a personal level that may seem like an old question, you know, going back to, you know, the the enthusiasm for small green changes that, again, going back, you know, several years, we're all in vogue. What do you think are, are the best ways that individual Hindus can get involved, either with this organization or in their lives? How should they approach that? So I, I think there are, there are two things people can do. The first is, the first is very simple, and you spoke about it, is, is just personal action. Let's all step back from our day-to-day lives and see if we're a practicing Hindu, or even, even if we're not a practicing Hindu, but we subscribe to the, the values of non-harming and that everything is sacred. Let's say that we put that out as that, that's how we're living our life, and that's through those lenses we want to live, lead our lives. Let's examine every sphere of life that we have. So, you know, from our home life with our family, to the work that we do, to the vacations that we take, to the pilgrimages that we make, um, to the food choices that we have, to the transportation choices that we make. Are we applying these lenses of non-harming and everything is sacred and connected? And we'll see quickly that if we apply these lenses that we naturally will start making choices and leading lives that are environmentally friendly and not harming the world. Because let's just take one example of pilgrimage, right? To fly to a place of pilgrimage in India, if you're a Hindu, or any other part of the world, if you're from another tradition, is extremely damaging to the environment. And so we have to really fundamentally ask ourselves, do I need to take this flight? The spiritual nourishment that I'm getting from this pilgrimage, can I get that in another way or form? 
somewhere locally? Or can I take a train to where I need to go? Or can I cut down on my pilgrimages to every couple of years rather than maybe every year that, that many people do? So I think let's apply these lenses of non-harming of the fact that everything is spiritual and connected and see what changes will occur in our lives. I think the other thing that we need to do, and this is this is more of a bigger mission or task for that's beyond just one Hindu individual, but every individual can contribute to this. It's what we call an engaged Hinduism. Other traditions have it, engaged Buddhism and so on. And engaged Hinduism is moving beyond the talking points. I think we've, we need to develop within the Hindu community at an individual level and a community level, real actionable, tangible contributions to the issues that we're facing in the world. It's no longer good enough for any tradition to say, this is what I believe. We all know what everyone believes. We need to fundamentally, fundamentally move into a space where this is what I believe and I'm acting on what I believe. So it's no good saying that I'm a Hindu and I believe in non-harming, yet I support animal agriculture, which takes milk from cows which are treated in the most horrendous ways. It's no longer good to say, I believe in nonviolence, and yet my investments are in fossil fuel companies, which are literally the fundamental cause of climate change. So we need to move from just talking about what we believe to really going into detail and action plans about implementing those in very real ways so that we make tangible changes in our personal lives and in our community lives. And I think that's the biggest, I wouldn't say concern, but certainly that's the biggest challenge that the Hindu community has on an individual and collective level is moving from talking to acting in ways that uplift all life, all people, and addressing the climate crisis. And I think that's what is most needed at this time. One final question. What is the future of the Boomi Project? What can we expect in the you know, next year? And uh, how can people connect with Boomi Project? Yeah, so we've got some really great things coming up in um, 2020. Um, as, as I mentioned at the top of the um, conversation, that we're going through a review process to see how we can best add value to the Hindu community going forward in the next few years. And so I think... What's coming out is that we're going to be doing a lot more work around wildlife conservation. We're really seeing that the Hindu community wants to talk about caring for tigers and elephants and natural wildlife. So we're going to be moving much more into wildlife conservation as, as part of our work, um, in, but at the same time, including the climate change aspects. But a really new piece, which is we're still developing and it's going to get off the ground in the later part of this year, is, is work around investments. Now, I know that sounds strange for an environmental organization, but there's a new movement happening around faith-based investing or impact investing. And so we're working um, with a number of other organizations to think about as a Hindu individual or a Hindu organization or a Hindu temple, how do you invest your money and how do you invest your money in ways that are beneficial for the earth, for, for the environment, for the planet and for people? And so that's going to be a new area of work for us. I mean, we've done, we've done work in this space for the last couple of years, but now we're really going to move into it quite significantly because we see in the Jewish world, in the Muslim world, in the Christian world, 
there are models of investment, models of finance for each of those respective faith traditions. But for the Hindu community, there is no such thing as Hindu finance, or it's there in some text that someone wrote many thousands of years ago. And so what we're going to be doing is looking at how we can mobilize finance within the Hindu community as a force for good in the world, because we know that money is not good or bad. It's what you do with it. And, and the Hindu approach is let's do something good with the good fortune that we have in our lives. And so that's something we're going to be working on this year. In terms of how people can get involved, um, they can go to our website, boomiproject.org, or they can drop me an email, golpal at boomiproject.org. And happy to have conversations with people, um, looking for volunteers and really in, infused individuals in different cities across the US and beyond who are keen to start taking this message out to their temples and their community centers and their businesses to really push this message that Hinduism is a really relevant, it's an engaged tradition which has a lot to say when it comes to caring for the earth. Well, that's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. It's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners. And if you really enjoyed this episode and want to ensure more of them get made, you can also make a donation to HAF over at hafsite.org slash donate. Finally, if you have any comments or suggestions, please email sohindu at hafsite.org. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening.